Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities, and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today. Needless to say, the story that you tell yourself is profound. It has a profound impact on the outcomes of your life. A positive story is one that's rooted in a healthy relationship with money and empowers you to make decisions that align with your goals. And a negative one is one that is shaped by fear or scarcity or outdated beliefs, to your point. But neither one of these stories are fixed or permanently set. They're not in concrete. They're not gospel. You are always choosing. Even when it doesn't feel like you are choosing, you still have to tell yourself you are always choosing because there's not like a ventri- like you're not a ventriloquist dummy. You're not sitting on someone's lap and they're feeding you the, well, I mean, in some ways you are a ventriloquist dummy, but you are also the ventriloquist. <laughs> like you are feeding yourself your own lines. The call is coming from inside of the house, which is why episodes like this and insights like this are so important. Welcome to the Rich and Regular podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Julian. And I'm Kirsten. And today we're going to be digging into our writer bag and talking about how to craft your money story. All right, let's do it. Yes. But before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to Nowlands for their review. They said... Nowlands. Nowlands. I I know. It's spelled N-A-W-L-I-N-Z. Nowlands. Nowlands. Okay. Yeah. But they said, thank you so much, Kirsten and Julian. Keep up the great work that you do. Each week, you inspire me to take my next step to financial independence, all while making me laugh. You are not only helping me, but the clients I serve as a financial counselor. You provide relevant information and inspiration that I pass on to my clients. And I'm honored to have met you during your book tour in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. So now I'm going through like the guest list in Raleigh. Like, now, which one was Nolan's? I think I know for sure. But I don't want to guess. I know. And I'm not going to sit here and try to describe right. who it was. But I think I know who that was. I think I remember. I think so, too. But shout out to you for being a financial counselor. You're doing very important work. Yes. And I think this episode in particular will also help a lot of your clients. So this should be fun. All right. Let's dive in. All right. So there's a couple of reasons why I wanted to tackle this. Uh, the first is that there is this disconnect, right? On paper, the economy is doing really well. If we remove the metrics, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like that kind of, I don't feel. So like if we were, that's why I added this little, you know, this little add on. If we remove all of the metrics and aspirations of the personal finance community, like credit card usage, you know, car loans, whatever. If you remove that from the equation, inflation is coming down. 
consumer spending and confidence are up and the jobs are there. Yeah. So all of the normal indicators are positive. But then I saw this stat by Fannie Mae that said that 78% of people feel like the economy is actually headed in the wrong direction because of inflation, mainly because of inflation. So there's this disconnect. And it made me realize that when we talk about money stories, we typically only talk about them as if they happened in the past and that they happened to us versus something that we can create and that is molded over time through our experiences. Mm. So that was the first reason I wanted to talk about this. Now, the second reason is because we're writers. And so there is a lot that we can share about crafting a good narrative and telling a useful story that can apply to people's money stories. And then the third reason is because at the end of the day, the best story wins. There are so many stories that you can opt out of in this country, whether it's religion or politics, but money is not one of them. So we're at this point now where there are these infinite ways to make money and there are minimal barriers to entry. And so I'd argue that now is the best time to kind of fine tune that internal monologue. And symbolically, it's an opportunity to remind you that you're the authority in your life. Yeah. So I I have a theory on this and I I too am a big fan of stories and storytelling, but it makes me think of, I think it was 2022. It might've been 2021. I'm not exactly sure. Time is just a a blur these days, but I remember we decided to do a month long campaign. I think it was predominantly on Instagram called Pockets of Progress. It was basically for Black History Month. And the goal was to focus on the positive sides of Black history that were happening in that moment, as opposed to always going back and talking about the civil rights movement and right. sort of ancient history, like some of the things that were happening right in that moment, history that was being made right then and there. And in part, that was because I think at the time, that's really just like what we needed and what I think a lot of other people needed because it was the beginning of, or I should say we were like still in the trenches of the pandemic and there was a social uprising and all these negative things that were happening. And we wanted to offer up like a set of positive stories because we knew just how impactful that could be just to people's general sense of uh, self-esteem. But I also think that, um, you know, because I've been like really diving into history uh, quite a bit over the last couple of months. And when I think about like U.S. history in particular, and I think about all of the things that we now looking back consider to be brave or miraculous, like they all kind of start with like a story And then they sort of continue based on the story that we tell about what just happened. And so like when I think about the 1960s right now, I'm like really big on JFK. I've always kind of been interested in JFK. But like right now, I've been really diving into it um, because there are so many parallels in the 60s and 70s relative to what we're experiencing now. And one of the biggest things that, that that I'm taking away from it was that he was really pushing for us as a country and NASA specifically to get us to the moon. And there were political reasons for why he wanted to get us there. But if you think about what that might have represented at the time, like it was the wildest, craziest idea. I don't even know that there's an idea that big that exists today. It's not like I can... I think it's like autonomous cars. I don't even... Where it's like, you can get in the car and don't and nobody drives it. Like it's, I, I was going it's to futuristic... say colonizing Mars where people are talking about it. But even that, that, you could argue, seems a bit more realistic because we've been to the moon so many times. And we've been to Mars too. And we've been to right, the literal rovers on Mars right and now. And he's tweeting. Right? And so all of these <laughs> things I just think are so interesting that they boil down to stories. And we oftentimes, because we live such busy lives, don't take the time to just stop 
think about where we are, think about what's happening. Uh, and we do the same thing sort of in our personal lives, right? So we tell ourselves a story about who we are, what we do, what's possible. And that story just doesn't change until somebody, mainly us, sort of do something about it, or we're forced to kind of change our personal story. And so if your parents tell you that you've always struggled with math, which was the case when you were, you've always struggled with math. Uh Well, it just kind of makes sense that you become a teenager and a young adult and maybe a young professional. And you sort of accept the fact that, well, you know what? I've actually always been like this. You never think that, oh, well, I could decide that that's not going to happen anymore and I'm going to do something about it. It's very comfortable and arguably most people would define it as natural to say, well, this is who I am. And obviously there are some very real implications that that can have on your financial life. So it could be, you know, because of that belief, you are comfortable or willing to overpay for financial advice. You might find yourself in a world where you are frequently and regularly overpaying for insurance or put making yourself overinsured just to kind of accommodate for these lapses that you feel that you are naturally prone to making. And so I think one of the most important parts of like adult life for sure is just kind of navigating that quest and understanding that where we are isn't where we will always be and finding the courage to grow. Like always, doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter what your challenges are or your environment. Like we have to find the courage to grow and we have to revisit our money stories to find out what areas of our lives we should be focusing on and where we really have opportunities to improve. Yes. I mean, at its core, our money story is the narrative that we tell ourselves about money. It's not just about budgets or investments or debts. It's about the beliefs that underpin all of those decisions. Those are what drive our financial decisions more than inputs on a spreadsheet or some numbers in a calculator. Your money story is the why or the why not behind every single decision that you make. And it influences everything from your spending habits to your investment strategies. So needless to say, the story that you tell yourself is profound. It has a profound impact on the outcomes of your life. A positive story is one that's rooted in a healthy relationship with money and empowers you to make decisions that align with your goals. And a negative one is one that is shaped by fear or scarcity or outdated beliefs to your point. But neither one of these stories are fixed or permanently set. They're not in concrete. They're not gospel. You are always choosing. Even when it doesn't feel like you are choosing, you still have to tell yourself you are always choosing because there's not like a ventri- like you're not a ventriloquist dummy. You're not sitting on someone's lap and they're feeding you the well, I mean, in some ways you are a ventriloquist dummy, but you are also the ventriloquist. <laughs> like you are feeding yourself your own lines. The call is coming from inside of the house, yeah. which is why episodes like this and insights like this are so important. Yeah. So I'm going to channel you a little bit here and uh, be a little woo-woo. And, um, you know, if you're in the middle of the struggle, somebody reminding you like us, like to tell yourself a different story can can be or or can sound a little patronizing or like we're gaslighting you. But there is science to back this up. Right. And we'll get into that later on in the episode. I think you have to remember that we are a species with a brain that has exceptional abilities to filter information from really 
sophisticated cognitive processes that have got to geek out evolved. on some nature. <laughs> no, I, I'm I've been so heavy into like nature documents but lately. But it's true. Too. Like we don't think of humans as a species. Well, we don't think of the Earth as something that's been around for billions of years. Right. And, you and know humans I mean? is just like one animal, like a centipede. Our, our lifespans is like a speck a of speck. dust. Like, oh my yeah. god. So so we don't realize a lot has happened before we got here that dictate the way that we think about things. And so a lot of what we're talking about is about recognizing all of those things, recognizing the magnitude of sort of cognitive ability that we have and finding the courage to do something about it in the process. And of course, there's some neurological work that we can do or at least recognize to help sort of hack that process. But all of that to say, I understand why topics like this or conversations like this can feel a little fluffy. But I, but I also recognize that a lot of that has to do with the way that the conversation is dressed up, right? And, and I'm channeling or, or thinking specifically about a lot of the men that I know listen to this particular podcast. So if I'm talking about things like mindset, if I'm just being honest, these are things that I've found, uh, I should say, let me be a bit more specific, in the Black community tend to be things that are much more focused to Black women. Whereas when we're referring to black men, they may not call it that, right? They may call it mamba mentality, right? So somebody yeah. else might call it hyper-focused and say, oh, well, you're somewhat like applying mamba mentality to like your money. Like, oh, I can rock yeah. that. Whereas like, we might call it manifesting or... One person yeah. might be like big into Oprah Winfrey and the things that she recommends and like, oh, it's called The Secret. Somebody else may say, ah, oh, well, actually, well, you know, Jay-Z does a version of that, you know, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't write his rhymes anymore. And I said, yeah, well, that was actually built out of necessity, right? So it wasn't like this magical, mystical thing. It was a skill. It was an ability that he recognized that he could do. It was something that he developed. And so all of that to say, I think we just owe it to ourselves to recognize the magnificent tool that is our brain. And we need to find ways to build it no differently or any differently than we would a muscle in our bodies, right? If you can wrap your head around going to the gym, taking long walks, and that being great for muscles, bones, and cardiovascular health, then we should also be able to wrap our head around that there are things, there are activities, there are tactics that we can do to improve our brain health, which then have a downstream impact on our ability to make better financial decisions. Yeah. Going back to humans as a species, we actually possess a highly developed prefrontal cortex, which is the thing that helps us pay attention and make decisions. So unlike other species like animals, we can choose, filter, and prioritize what's important to us. Yeah. It's not this reflex that we you know, can move at lightning speed or attack a gazelle from 40 feet away, but we can actually choose what we're trying to focus on. It's a practice to your point. That's where meditation and mindfulness come in. But if you can fine tune your information processing center, aka your brain, you can actually shape the perception of the world around you. Yep. And there are tons of videos and examples out there about how the brain filters and chooses what's important on your behalf. You can look online and find the videos of that gorilla walking by that nobody notices. Have you seen that experiment? Where they're like, look oh, at this yeah. person. Oh, that's and then a gorilla walks by and it's like, did you see the gorilla? Yeah. And it's like, no, because that. you told your brain to focus, focus on, on the, thing, the yeah. person. Ooh, that's old. Yeah, it is old. But even if you don't want to do all that, you don't want to take an extra step, you don't have to look further than your face. Like yeah. your nose should be an obstruction to your vision. But the reason why it isn't is because your brain knows that you don't need to see all that, uh, yeah. you know, every day. Like the, the only way that you can override the default feature 
of not seeing your nose is to literally cross your eyes and like actively try to see it. And so you think about all these filters that you have in the world to enhance efficiency and processing speed. Your money story is one of the most aggressive filters out there. And so the point is, unless you tell your brain to do something different, it's going to do what it's been programmed to do. And depending on how you were raised, the messages you've heard over your life and the environments that you've been in, all of which kind of ultimately amount to what we call your socioeconomic status, that may or may not be in your best interest. You may not want to trust your brain to filter out your money story based on how you were raised or the environments that you've been in. Yeah. That's something that you want to consciously decide. Yeah. And I would argue that you shouldn't. Um, okay. So let's, let's <laughs> start with what gets in the way of developing a good money story. Cause I think that's, that's really the, the issue here, right? So we understand that the brain is powerful. We understand that we're all essentially a byproduct of our past and how we were raised and the habits and decisions. And there are just some things that kind of get in the way of us kind of making a different set of decisions. So I want to start with three things that that get in the way for sure. There are more, but we're just focusing on the three that are top of mind that we think are the most prevalent and the most relevant for our audience. And so the first one is what's called anchoring bias. And basically this occurs when people rely a little too heavily on the first piece of information that they've encountered, which is where the term anchor, right? It's the thing that's sort of holding you there. Your your beliefs are anchored in this thing. And that's what impacts your your decision making. So you essentially become fixed or tethered to a goal or a benchmark or whatever it is. And you never reassess or adjust it. And eventually it becomes outdated and you kind of find yourself applying yesterday's logic and motivation to today's world, which sometimes kind of gets in the way of your decision-making. The second one, which is kind of connected, but it's a little different, is called confirmation bias. And this is the tendency to seek out information that confirms your existing belief, that anchor, and basically ignore any other different sets of information that might actually challenge it. Now, the impact here is that this can prevent you from critically evaluating your habits or adopting new or different approaches to trying to get something done, which ultimately impacts the outcome. And the third one, which is one that I'm pretty sure most people are a bit more familiar with, is scarcity mindset. And this is characterized by a belief that resources like money are limited and scarce and that people who experience this find it challenging to envision or pursue like larger financial goals because they're so preoccupied with the fear of not having enough. And so, as I said earlier, there are several other versions of bias or cognitive bias, which is sort of the broader category that these are lumped under. But I think what it ultimately leads to is a version of people feeling uh, stuck. And so it leads to this feeling where people, and, and I think a lot of people just call it normal, but like there's somewhere in between knowing that more or better is possible, but they're not doing the things that can actually get them there. And it's because of all of those other things that are kind of getting in the way, AKA the money story that you're telling yourself. So, Tying all of that together, right? You may have a belief uh, that you don't think can change, aka anchoring bias. You can readily find information, right, to validate why it will never change, like the news, aka 
confirmation bias. And then you've kind of found yourself in this position where you've grown accustomed to the idea that money is just hard to get by anyway. So it's all good. And again, that's scarcity mindset. You may have one of these issues. It may be all of the above. You might have a completely different set. But again, these are just examples of how these things get in the way of our decision making and ultimately how they impact our ability to achieve our financial goals. Yeah, I see this a lot with careers. Like I feel like people, the anchoring bias comes in with their career choice. They decided that they were going to go into a career that may not offer high salaries. And that decision they're anchored to. And then they have confirmation bias because they only hang out with people who have made similar decisions and have the same complaints that they do or the same challenges, whether it's financially or, you know, just promotion-wise or whatever, just career-wise. And then they, you know, believe that the job that they want or the path that they want isn't available out there. And so what it does is it creates this mental cul-de-sac where you are stuck in this loop and you can't get out until you stop and ask yourself, which one of these things am I willing to be wrong about? And I get it. That is, it's a hard thing to ask yourself because it literally like hurts your brain to tell it that it's been believing something that may not be true anymore, but it's such an important first step. And even though everybody wants to skip it, the only way that you can create a new thought pattern is to eliminate some of the ones that have been holding you back in the Mm -hmm. past. So this leads us to our first tip in rewriting your money story, which is to find what the kids call main character energy. Have you heard that term? I have. Yeah. Main character energy. You're going to explain it to me like I'm a, <laughs> like I'm oh, 85 years well, old. Well, I don't know. You know, you're not always hip to the slang, but I think going back to the career example, one of the biggest problems people have when they're changing careers or trying to move up the ladder or re-entering the workforce after some time off is that they can't imagine a resume that tells a completely different story about themselves than the ones that they've been telling themselves for the yeah, last the 10 years. The one that's gotten them to where they are. Yeah. That's what's worked. I'm not about to abandon that approach now. Or no one will believe me if I say it differently. And if you can't tell yourself stories about yourself from multiple angles, then the single story that you have on that paper or the one that has led you to the place that you're trying to change from is the one that's going to control the rest of your life. Your career is a mutable, dynamic story that you control, and so is your money story. Every summary of every part of your life could be a totally different summary and be equally true, right? You just have to tell it differently. There are so many truths to the same story. You just need to get good at picking the one that helps you get the result that you want. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not a fan of the expression, speaking of the kids, the youth, I'm not a fan of the expression, romanticize your life for a number of reasons. But I think the intent behind it is to describe this process of seeing yourself as the protagonist of your own story, who is not giving up because then the story would be over and there's no point in following along and who also may be flawed, but is still beloved by viewers, even if you're the only viewer everywhere, right? I mean, think about that. There are plenty of beloved villains out there. There are plenty of people who have done something wrong, but we still love them. It makes me think of, I know it makes me think of, uh, what's his name from Breaking Bad? Walter White. Walter White. Yes, Walter White. Walter White is beloved, even though, you know, he's got some challenges. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's a good guy. (laughs) You need to start writing your story the same way you would describe Walter White. Right. Walt White? (laughs) Y'all know what I mean. Let's take a quick break so I can get my words together. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. 
Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. Yeah, so this is making me think of the very first time I, or I should say not the first time, but definitely one of my earliest, most impactful memories of breaking. I, you know, I, I always think of it as like not breaking bread. So you got me thinking of Walter White, but it's like breaking um, the story that I've been telling myself and realizing, actually, you know what? I can choose to be different. And it was, it was 2005. So I was still, I was finishing up undergrad and there was a study abroad opportunity with the School of Hospitality and they were traveling to Western Europe for like two and a half weeks or something. And I remember getting the pamphlet and it had the amount of money, everything that was included. And it was like three, $4,000. And I, and I just, I just remember dismissing it. And I was like, okay, well, this is great. Right. Like, and I was doing everything right. Like I had the most experienced star student, like beloved by faculty and staff, all the things. And they really wanted me to go. And I was like, yeah, I really would love to go too. But one, I don't have the money. And two, I was working. And so I was like, I can't afford to just take two weeks off from work in addition to finding thousands of dollars just to go take this trip. I love the idea, but that's certainly not me. Long story short, the director of the program uh, encouraged me to apply for a scholarship and then I got one. And then that led to another conversation, which led to another conversation. So by the time I was done, I'd had several conversations. I'd met with different people and basically stitched together more than enough money that I needed to take that trip. And it happened in a matter of like two weeks because, like mm-hmm. you know, there was a certain amount of time where you needed to enroll and make that down payment. And that was the first time in my life that I'd gone from seeing something insurmountable to having more than enough in a short period of time. And it did not come from me kind of working for it or anything like that. And it really just broke my brain. And I think was the earliest memory of me realizing how quickly and easily money could flow, but that it might not necessarily come from what I had grown accustomed yes. to, which was, hey, if you wanted to make thousands of dollars in addition to what you need, you're going to have to work three, four, five, six times as hard. This is the first time that that had ever happened to me. Now, when I came back, I had another realization, which is that I'm a changed person, right? I was 25 years old. I'd experienced my 25th birthday on the Eiffel Tower, I'd seen France, Germany, Switzerland, things that I'd never thought that I would ever see. And it didn't cost me anything, right? And I came back and I was trying to explain to people, like, you would not believe like what I just saw. This was crazy and all these things. And I learned very quickly that people just could not relate. They'd never been there, like hadn't even been a, a tenth of the distance away from wherever they were. And then I remember having to make a very challenging decision, which is like, you're either going to have to tuck this in, right? So that you can continue to relate to the cast of characters that are in your life, or you can kind of let it shine and allow this thing to continue to change you. And I made that decision to continue to let this thing change me because I, I just was so blown away by that experience. And it made me feel like I was a much better person. So I say all of that to say, right, there's a, there's a word for this. My decision to shine 
rather than tuck it in was really about me sort of guiding and leading that uh, what they call effective dialogue, which is the uh, the story that we basically tell ourselves. And it's the one that allows us to move the story forward and enhance what you call main character energy, right? And say, you know what? This is not what Shining looks like for you anymore, right? Shining looks like, yeah, you get to do really cool things like travel to Western Europe and all those kinds of things. And I think when, you know, when you think about your money story, right, uh, as I'm sort of like trying to connect this to some of our listeners out there, if you're like most people and you have lots of voices in your head, right, you have your mom's voice, your dad's voice, maybe, maybe it's a, a voice from an old mentor, all well-meaning you know, voices and things about the way that the world works. Maybe it's Bible verses. Maybe it's something that you heard on the news, like Good Morning America, about how the economy is doing. Could be Dave Ramsey, that you listen to him all the time, right? All of these things are kind of crowded up in your story and they're shaping or reinforcing your story. But I think in another context, you might label that noise or something that kind of uh, adds to the confusion that you're feeling. But the point that I want to remind people of is that you are the author or you are the DJ. You have the opportunity to shape or change, to mute, to edit, to reevaluate all of those voices and the way that it impacts the way that you view what's possible in your particular life. And in the process of doing that, sometimes it may look like you needing to create some physical distance between you and others who are sort of leading you uh, in, in a different direction or somewhere where you don't want to go or keeping you stuck, right? And so tactically, this might boil down to you unfollowing certain people or not hanging out with certain people or muting them on social media, right? So that you don't sort of continue to fall back into an old way of thinking and old beliefs. And I think I always like to think of it as a bit of a graduation, right? So when you're graduating, you've got that the cap and gown on and you take that tassel and you move it from one side of your head to the other. I think when it comes to our money stories, people don't realize that you have to do that. There's not a formal curriculum that says, all right, now you can move on to making these decisions on your own. And so reminding people that you are the author, you are the DJ, you are the star of your show, to your point about main character energy. And I think that's really, really important when we're talking about our money story. And so a couple of tactical things that you can do, I think is one, starting with revisiting those usual lines and deciding what that purpose is. If it's not advancing the plot or reinforcing sort of the character traits that you want, then you might want to second guess whether or not you want to include it as a part of your story. I think the second one is one that we've mentioned before, which is around journaling. And if you're not a writer or, you know, you won't record your content or something like that, that's fine. But figure out a way to track not just where you are, but also how where you were made you feel. Right. And so if you are at a point where you had, I'm just saying, a net worth negative $20,000, or maybe you had $100,000 of student loan debt, don't just write down that number, but make sure that you're also capturing how you feel in those moments so that as you go forward, as you start to make progress, you can look back on where you were and think about how those situations or circumstances in your life made you feel so that you're just in a better position to say, okay, wow. Now I know what progress looks like and feels like in my life, but I think it also just reminds you that you are the one that can kind of matriculate yourself through that process. It's not always, there's there's not always going to be somebody that steps in and does that for you. You're in control of that pace. Yeah. I love the concept of effective dialogue being something that 
moves the the story forward and is necessary for character development because I grew up in the church. And so there is a lot of dialogue that got repeated to me about money, which eventually became this permanent soundtrack in my head. Yeah. Now, some of it was helpful, but a lot of it was incomplete <laughs> or at least missing the context. And I, I, I needed that context to be able to take responsibility for my life versus just outsourcing it to God. And I realized that that plus the lines that I got from adults about, you know, how to work and how to be caused me to deflect a lot of my story. And so a lot of my story was happening to me versus me taking the reins and actually writing it and shaping it and controlling it. And so I like to think of dialogue as one of those rotating sushi bars. (laughs) Have you been to one of those? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, for those who that haven't been. the second been, time I studied abroad in Japan. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You probably, ha- you probably went to a real I've one. I've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> They're not, there's nothing glamorous about it. <laughs> well, for those that aren't familiar or maybe don't live in a place where they have these rotating sushi bars, picture a conveyor belt that kind of circles around the dining area with plates of sushi dishes on this it's conveyor like a belt. train set. Yeah, it's like a train. Yeah. Except instead of a train, it's just met tons of plates a of wide sushi. wide array of sushi. <laughs> yeah. Riding around on a belt. Oh, riding around on a belt. And as you sit at your table, you can pick your favorites or what looks good directly from the belt. And there's this color code system that indicates the price. But at the end, you're charged based on the number of plates that you have and whatever you know, colors are associated with it, but you're just picking them out as they pass by. But what's most interesting to me is that the impact that your selections have on the chef and the kitchen, because the chef only knows what to make based off of what you pick. So if the rainbow rolls keep getting scooped up off the, off the belt, he makes more rainbow rolls. But if nobody's touching those bagel rolls with the cream cheese and the salmon. I've never understood the cream I've cheese. I've never thing. understood those things. But like, if no one's touching that, they just keep riding. There's nothing wrong. They just, he's take, not take making more. <laughs> he's not making more. Eventually he'll learn not to put so many on that belt. But, you know, he's not making any more because no one's taking it. Now, the metaphor is you need to imagine your brain as that sushi chef and all of the things that you've heard, read, listened to and seen as the little plates of sushi. It's all fine for it to be there just kind of riding around. But it's really important for you to choose what you want if you want the chef to keep making more. Does that make sense? Who's the chef? Your brain. Oh, okay. <laughs> So if you don't want the bagel sushi to be repeated in your brain because you keep taking it and using it. Well, I mean, depending on the, we're going to, we're going to keep it scientific. Yeah. (laughs) There's a lot of people who have a belief that God is who gives you the thoughts to begin with. If that's your, if that is helpful for you, then great. But the way your psychology works, the way that your brain as a organ works is that the more that you tell it, something is important, the more of it, it produces. So if you keep saying God got me. It is what it is. I'm not worried. Then your brain's going to say, okay, well, then we don't need to be worried. Then I don't need to think about it. I don't need to do anything. And sometimes that is helpful for the things that you cannot control, which is the original context of those messages. But for the things like checking your budget, opening a brokerage account, setting up a high yield savings account, investing on a regular basis, those are not things that you need. You know, you know what I'm trying to say. So I do. It is, it's always, always been fascinating to me, like how people find that balance between their religious belief system and like their personal actions. And, and honestly, I understand this is a third rail for some people. If I'm being honest, though, I think it's, I think it's one of the contributing reasons that so many people have such a passive 
and lackadaisical relationship with their money because so much of their life is designed around this idea that that they are not in control and that they don't have control. So God is in control of their life. Their financial advisor is in control of their money and their investments. In the case of many women, if we're being honest, they have subscribed to the idea that their man is in control of their money and their family. Um, when it comes to their career and their trajectory and their earning potential, their boss or their boss's boss or their company is in control of their career and personal development and so on. And I think because they've they've erected so many control crutches around their life, this idea of standing up on your own two feet and giving birth and raising your own ideas, kind of taking charge in a meaningful way seems so foreign and uncomfortable. And it leads to them settling for less or in some cases just being taken advantage of. And I think going back to the money stories that we tell ourselves. I know we mentioned. I know we mentioned it in our book, and we definitely mentioned it in our class. Making money grow. It, it's okay to accept that there are forces in your life that are bigger than you, right? But if we relinquish control of our financial lives, unfortunately, in the United States, you will be met with some pretty uncomfortable and brutal truths eventually, right? Like you will. You will certainly end up experiencing firsthand just how frail our social safety net is. But for sure, you become reliant on decades of lackadaisical and passive decision-making when Uh it comes to your investing, right? Unless you are someone that is pretty sure that you will be inheriting a bunch of money, every single one of us at some point in our lives will be reliant on the results of those decisions, right? And so, and and there's obviously like connection between this conversation and some of the previous conversations around neglect and people having challenges with like midlife or transitionary periods and kind of the way that they think about themselves at critical junctures in their life. But I think in this case, it's really about what gets in the way of people making the decisions that they know they need to make, like helping people to get unstuck. And so much of it, I think, is centered around the stories that we tell ourselves, like who's in control. And again, we're just reminding you that you're in control. Yes, whose dialogue dominates. And and even if you have a coach or an advisor, that's fine, but that's a temporary crutch, right? Like a crutch, you think about a broken foot, great. You don't walk around on a crutch. Like the doctor doesn't give you a crutch and they're like, here, you're going to walk around on this crutch for the rest of your life. Right. You walk around on this crutch until you heal and you have to do the right things for you to heal. And then when you're done, you put the crutch down, you put the crutch away, you unsubscribe from crutches <laughs> and you start walking <laughs> on your own two feet. And I think a lot of us, they just get so accustomed. It's like, yeah. well, life is just sort of spent on crutches. And unfortunately it isn't. That's the last time I'm going to say crutch. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about main character energy. We've talked about effective dialogue. And this third tip, final tip, is to really learn to embrace plot twists. Every great story has its challenges and plot twists, in fact, are an important part to a story structure, right? For a couple of reasons. One, again, they force character development and add a level of depth and complexity, which are the seasonings of life, if you ask me. Two, they introduce unpredictability and challenge conventional expectations. So as a reader or a listener of you or whatever, it keeps you on your toes and keeps you engaged in the story. They're also more memorable than retelling of mundane activities. You can only talk about or describe how to eat breakfast like so many times. At some point, there needs to be a plot twist, like crack the egg and there was a baby chick in it or something, you know, just (laughs) switch things up. Okay. (laughs) Lastly, plot twists are important because of the emotional impact, right? The emotional reaction 
to the words or the activities is what makes a story sticky or meaningful. And so your money story is no different. Financial setbacks and challenges are inevitable. But if you can view them as an opportunity for growth or resilience, if you can reframe them as a plot twist, then you have this chance to kind of reframe them into the larger context of the journey, right? It's your chance to get creative. And I think a lot of people who are hesitant to kind of spin, air quotes, spin stories, have a fundamental misunderstanding of what the truth is outside of their head. They tell themselves that the truth is the first story that they think of, and all the other stories that may contradict with that first story are lies, right? But if you want to change your thought patterns and your money story, you have to be willing to find evidence that goes against your current beliefs. If you are trying to move from where you currently are, you have to actively believe something different. And going back to how we started this episode, if you're in the 80% of Americans who believe that the economy is going in the wrong direction because the things that you like to buy are more expensive, but the economists and the people in charge are saying, I disagree because Americans have received more money and had more access to credit. Who's telling the truth about the state of the economy, right? They both are. Consumers are allowed to take credit for higher wages that they earn through hard work and dedication and cheap debt that they use to buy up new cars and bigger houses while issuing blame to corporations for raising prices. And corporations can feel justified in their newfound pricing power to match this newfound demand. So because two things can be true at the same time, you can look at the other side and be with it instead of fighting against it because the truth, as I said, is layered and our money stories are just a collage of truths. So all we're suggesting in this episode is, you know, we're not saying to lie to yourself or gaslight yourself or spin yourself out of reality. We're not telling you to be the Lulu, but we are telling you to become a student of the game and pick the stories, the dialogue, the plot twists that are putting you in a position to win. I can think of two plot twists really quickly that um, come top of mind that I that I knew right off the top that I would just um, embrace from the beginning. Um, well, yeah, actually, yeah, that's, that's, that, that, that holds true. So the first one would be uh, 2008, the Great Recession. I was not concerned. I was not worried. Um, I had learned enough about stock market cycles at that point, and I was, in fact, like so excited. And um, granted, it was tough getting through it and surviving it. And there were some really, really tough periods during that period of time. But I knew for a fact without question that if I just held on, if I made some smart investment decisions, that this had the opportunity to be one of the best decisions that I ever made. And I was right. And I think because of that, sort of leading to the second plot twist, which was the Trump presidency, I remember the very next day, the amount of people who were so completely distraught and to your point around like i forgot what you said the seasonings of life were but like <laughs> complexity and something else well i know you talk quite a, okay well that's not where i was going <laughs> with this but the point that i was making was i remember obviously like having uh, a weird feeling in my stomach and being a little bit concerned but being smart enough to know that actually there's more to this story. And I knew for a fact, like certainly just based off of some of his economic proposals, that this would be a win for a lot of investors and that we as investors had an opportunity to gain quite a bit from that. But it would force us to tell a very different story about even the role that politics plays in our lives and so on and so on. But yeah, like to your point around plot twists, like it's going to happen. And I think that also goes back to this idea of 
who's in control. I think once you step into the writer's room of your own life and you become the author of your own life and your own story, to your point, you start to embrace those things and say, oh, well, yeah, something happened and that's okay. But because but I'm in control. So I get to say, well, oh, well, you know what? This person doesn't work here anymore. This is what they do. And as a result, this is what I envision is going to happen with this main character, with you obviously being that person. Um, That was not my final thought. (laughs) Um, I'm curious to see what yours is. Uh, Why don't we go ahead and start with that? All right. So my final thought is, you know, I just keep going back to that word responsibility and how there are just a number of things that adults are responsible for, but we're never taught. And so my final thought is actually a question. And I saved it to the end because in my stories, the people who make it to the end of things always get a prize. And so here we are. So, you know, we're writers and professional storytellers and we could geek out about this stuff all day. But I wonder if some hands on help might be useful to people. And if there is any interest in doing a Zoom or an email series or something that we could work on together, us and you writing, rewriting your money stories. If there's any interest in that sounds like your type of party, shoot us an email at hello at richandregular.com or DM us on social with your email address. And if there's enough interest, we'll work on putting something together. Okay. I like that. My final thought is crafting your money story isn't like a vision port. I actually think it's more like a daily prayer. And what I mean by that is it's not this thing that you do one time and probably never look at again. It's a story, a song, a mantra that you beat, massage and implant into your head every single day, so much so that we forget that we're the ones who told it. And so it's the little ringing in your ears or the sound of your heartbeat that that's so deeply ingrained into your everyday life that you don't recognize that this song is playing on repeat in the back of your head. And I think there is this um, this exercise that we actually ask people to do in our uh, the introductory lesson of our class, Making Money Grow, where we ask people, when it comes to money, I am a person who dot, dot, dot. And then we ask them to kind of fill in several blanks to kind of help them map out what they have been telling themselves about money. And then, of course, towards the end of the class, we ask them to revisit that so that we can see, or at least that they can see, how they've changed over the course of those five hours. And so I don't know if that's going to end up being probably the template for this conversation that you're hoping to have with people assuming they're interested in. But I do think it's an, uh, an important exercise that we tell because I think that's really where you start. People often ask, well, where do I start? And I'm like, well, you start with your money story. Once you understand what your money story is, then you can really understand where you need to focus on in order to make some improvements. I love it. I love it. And I love the little beginning, little spoken word. I thought she was giving us full Darius love hog. Your story is the ringing in your ears, the sound of your heart. It it is. That's not where I was going, but uh, that is that is what it felt like. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success. You know, my favorite stories are the ones y'all leave in the reviews. So if you like what you heard, head on over to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star review. We'll see you next week. 